Have you ever heard someone say, stop crying? Have you ever told someone to stop crying? Uh, as a crier myself, somebody who will cry at the drop of a dime, uh, I have always been incredibly allergic to this phrase. And so it has been surprising how much over the last couple of years I have found myself uttering that phrase, just stop crying. Now I have three wonderful, incredible little girls at home. Uh, and, and yet I find myself um, every time bedtime rolls around, which by the way is at the same time every single night, um, just needing, whether it's internal or whether it's literally me raising my voice, just saying, please stop crying. I don't know why you're crying. We do bedtime at the same time every single night. I'm getting angry just thinking about it right now. Like there are just so many tears in my house. Just stop crying. In the scriptures, we don't really ever see this. Like we don't hear knock it off or dry your tears or phrases like look at the bright side. We really just get the phrase, I see them, like God sees them. Uh, in Genesis 21, there's this passage where uh, we read, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar. This is a whole backstory here. I don't have time to get into, but uh, heard the voice from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? And then we hear the writer say, fear not for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. God draws near to the cry. There's another story uh, where David writes, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my, uh, with my weeping. My eyes wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. When David becomes weary and moaning, God didn't become weary with listening. He hears the cry. Something is activated, in, if that's the right way to put it, with God when the, someone weeps. Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The God of all comfort keeps watch over your weeping. He gathers up your tears. God says to one of the prophets, uh, turn back and say, to the leader of my people, thus says, says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. I could keep going, but basically over and over and over we hear, I see them, I care about them. I can wipe them away. I'll heal you. This is the pattern that arises over and over. Something about the cry unlocks healing and unlocks relief and unlocks rest. There's a power in coming to tears. And whether you're a literal crier or not, um, we can acknowledge that I think that tears are about coming to the, the end of yourself. Those moments when you realize the grief and loss and pain that's everywhere. It's when you own that, when you, when you begin to realize that deep in your bones. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time watching the news, just in general, but especially right now. Um, even more acutely, I have a hard time watching dark documentaries. My wife loves to watch like really just brutal documentaries. And I just feel like my life is heavy enough. I don't need to add one more thing. <laughs> and it's not just because I'm a bit pain avoidant, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's just that it's so sad, it deserves my tears. 
but I don't have enough time to do that. I don't have enough time to process another massive tragedy. I can barely slow down enough to process my own issues. There's just not enough time to cry or to pause or to process. Jesus even gets in on the tears. He weeps, we're told, uh, over the city. We talked about this on Palm Sunday. He, he finds himself just looking out at the brokenness of the world, of the reality of the situation, and he begins to weep. There's another story where Jesus joins this crowd outside of a local town and he, he, uh, he watches a widow weep over her son's body. It says he had compassion on her. And then later, uh, this is Mary, fell apart at Jesus's feet over the death of her brother. And we read Jesus wept. Jesus had compassion and Jesus, the son of God, that apparently this God in flesh, the one who's showing us what God is like in his fullness, weeps. This is what God is like. The same one who then raises this brother, Lazarus, from the dead, a verse later, first stops to linger and sit in the tears. See, God never takes a shortcut through our grief. My question for us today is, do we? Like, do we take a shortcut through our grief? God deals in reality. Do we? Now, I wanna come back to this idea in a minute. Um, See, a big topic of conversation right now around this pandemic has been around the topic of slowing down. With most of us confined to home, with many of us being furloughed or even losing our job, having less to do for our work or being home all the time, our social engagements are on hold with the ruthless elimination of FOMO uh, that has happened. Most of us are slowing down in one way or another. Adrian Swoboda in his book, Subversive Sabbath, tells this story um, about two groups of people. It's a psychological story about men and women who came home uh, from World War II versus those that came home from Vietnam. They had very, very different futures. The folks that came home from the Second World War, they came home and they just, they slept with their wives. This is where we get the baby boomer generation. Like there was a year of increase in growth compared to Vietnam where, um, the future just was very different. Uh, PTSD rose, drug and suicide epidemic uh, all increased. And so a number of historians and psychologists have looked at this and looked at the factors because they both experienced awful things on the battlefield. They saw some of the things, some of the worst things a person can see, things that likely most of us will never ever see, but their futures were so different. And according to some, the, the difference, um, though complex, there's, there's uh, something really kind of simple that seems to rise to the surface in these conclusions. After the war was over, those that fought in Vietnam got on airplanes and in just a few days were back home in their kitchen. Now, the men and women who fought in World War II, they didn't get on airplanes, they got on boats. They took about two to three months on the water before they got home. What do you do when you've been on a boat for two months after a war? You cry, you grieve, you mourn, you process, you sit with others and you talk about it. You process out loud and because they had time to process, it apparently affected their future. 
The soldiers in Vietnam with very little, if any time to process, just very slowly but surely moved to these places of despair and restlessness. My, my talk today is actually just a really simple invitation for you to slow down and to make some space to cry if you get nothing else out of this. Like time to grieve and time to process. There is something about slowing. Jesus, for instance, was rarely, if ever, in a hurry. Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Uh, there was, uh, in Luke 5, there was this report went, ab went abroad concerning him. The great multitudes gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities, but he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Uh, Mark chapter one, uh, that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or possessed uh, and the whole city was gathered together about the door. And in the morning, a great while before the day, he rose and went out to a lonely place and there he prayed and, um, and Simon uh, and those that were with him pursued him. Jesus would often send people away, disappear without warning, dismissing those that were in need with out an excuse or an explanation and a retreat to a place of rest. Sometimes he would take the disciples with him. He would come away to a deserted place all by himself and just rest a while. He didn't wait till they had completed all their work. He invited them to rest right in the middle of their busyness. Come with me, he said, let us stop. Or he says, let us rest or let us pray resting and slowing and Sabbath, all sorts of benefits to these things that we've talked a lot about over the last year at Sanctuary. But today I just wanna point out how it helps us deal in reality. I've used this analogy before, but I just think it's the, the best because I suffer from this, um, this uh, whatever it is, like this issue in a serious way. Um, I don't know anyone out there deal, deals with man sickness. Like man sickness, uh, according to like, you know, a really technical definition is this. Primarily affecting adult males, man sick often occurs when the afflicted uh, has an illness and injury that immediately reduces him to an infantile state. <laughs> At this time, the individual becomes toddler-like in needs and demands, often will require full attention from those who are in his vicinity and will not be satisfied until every person in a three-mile radius knows and is as miserable as he is. Intolerant of any other person who is not waiting on him and his demands at lightning speed, it can resemble a flow-blown narcissist at this time. It's a brutal definition. What's really going on, I think, with man sickness, at least with me, is that it's just that I can finally stop a bit. It gives me a reason to stop, an excuse to stop. Because deep down, I, I know that I need to just rest I need to reevaluate how I'm doing and what's going on below the surface. And it just gives me an excuse. Dr. Wayne Muller says uh, that in his um, relationships with his patients suffering with cancer, AIDS, and other life-threatening illnesses, he says, I'm always struck by the mixture of sadness and relief that they experience when illness interrupts their overly busy lives. While each shares their particular fears and sorrows, almost everyone, he writes, confesses some secret gratefulness. Finally, they say, at last I can rest. What's this doctor pointing out? 
It's that if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness actually becomes our rest. Illness becomes our break. Illness becomes our Sabbath, our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accident, our pandemic. It helps us to stop. And when we're there in that moment, like I think a lot of us are now, there's an invitation for us to ask, what if I didn't need a crisis to slow me down? What if I didn't need this to slow me down? Now we hate this because when we slow down, when we're silent, when we put our phones down, when we close our computers, when it's just you and your journal or you and your thoughts, it's just you and God, there is no avoiding anything. (laughs) You have to confront who you are. Slowing and silence will usher you into reality. Or you'll just use this moment to watch more Netflix or more porn and consume more like YouTube than ever before, which is what's happening. You just become another statistic in a world that seems to not want to deal in reality. We just want to escape. And I just want to to submit to you, there is no healing in escape. There's no healing in staying busy or using our slowing down in rest to numb and distract ourselves, right? Because some of us would say, yeah, yeah, I'm slowing down, I'm resting, but really I'm just numbing and distracting. Uh, Wayne Muller goes on to say this in his book, Sabbath, a successful life has become a violent enterprise. And he puts success in quotes. He says, we make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits, War on our children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they are hurt and afraid and need our company. We make war on our uh, spirit because we're too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. We wage war on our communities because we are fearfully protecting what we have and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. We make war on the earth because we cannot take the time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings and give thanks. Slowing down brings so much life where we see how necessary, as my friend John Mark Comer says, the ruthless elimination of hurry is. Slowing down helps us become aware of what reality is. Uh, John Mark actually gives some ideas on how to slow down. Uh, He talks about like intentionally driving in the slow lane. Um, That alone, I think, would drive some of us just absolutely insane. Uh, Getting in the longest line at the grocery store, like finding the longest line, getting in line, and then not taking out your phone. Not taking your phone into the bathroom not taking your phone out when you're at the gas pump. A lot of these have to do with your phone. (laughs) At night, at 9 p.m., like putting your phone on do not disturb and getting an analog alarm clock, like simple practices, um, many of which this pandemic is like thrusting on us now, having talked to a lot of you. Like, um, I think what's gonna happen if we allow it to is it's gonna begin to ground us, this moment of forced slowing. It's gonna begin to ground us in the best possible ways. This needs to be something uh, that we take away from this season and make our new normal because reality is hard. 
Reality's hard now and reality's hard after this. For all the joy, there are a lot of tears. And when we don't cry, I imagine we limit God's ability to come in and wipe away those tears. The scripture says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, to the crying, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So turn with me, if you would, to one more passage, to John chapter 20. We are still in the season of Easter. Easter is not just one day. Easter is a whole season. It's called Eastertide. Uh, and it's just the weeks after Easter that we just celebrate and we rejoice and we feast and we remember the resurrection. And so this story takes place right after Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, and uh, John chapter 20, uh, we learn first that it's uh, the first day of the week. So it's uh, right at Sabbath. And while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Uh, and we read that now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and uh, saw these angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they had put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, at first glance, this seems to contrast with everything that we have read about how God, about how Jesus responds to genuine tears. I imagine Mary saying, why am I crying? Like, seriously? Like everything has fallen apart and now they've taken the body. He can't even rest in peace. I've come here on the Sabbath. The one thing I could have is closure. That would be the last thing I could actually hold on to, and I can't even have that. Are you seriously asking why? After asking the question, Jim, Jesus sim simply says, Mary. She turned toward him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which is this like intimate, joy-filled way of saying like, my teacher, my teacher. Jesus calls her by her name. I imagine in that moment, she realizes that the story isn't over. She realizes all the promises that she thought had died with Jesus, like that the world would be put back together, that all would be renewed and restored and alive and well in some way. All these promises are still on. Even a few hours early, earlier before Jesus was crucified, he told them, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Like this isn't gonna end how you think it's gonna end. Jesus says tears will be dried up and grief will lose its grip. All the promises she held in her heart that God himself would dry up these tears forever. Like it says in the book of Revelation that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. She had lost hope that all of this would come to pass. And Jesus asks Mary, why are you crying? Why are you crying? I just wonder if what he's really asking her is, are you looking at the grave or are you looking at me? Are you looking at the death or are you looking at me? Look up, lift your eyes, get your eyes up off the grave. Like we may live in this Good Friday world, but we are Easter people. It's like, I wonder if all wrapped in there is, is Jesus saying, look, pain has an answer. Pain has an answer. And so I, I wanna impress on us today 
is that you have to slow down long enough to engage reality, to know what and where like the, the tears are and then place that pain in this larger story, this larger story of every tear being wiped away. This is, by the way, what Martin Luther King Jr. would do all the time. I mean, speech after speech, whether it was a famous, uh, like a, a famous um, speech in D.C. or whether it was like in a pulpit at some small church in Alabama, these lines of, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen how this ends. He keeps quoting Revelation. God will wipe away every tear. I've seen how this all gets resolved. God's gonna put it all back together. The moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. He keeps leaning into that larger story. You can place your tears in this larger hope. In one of his more famous speeches, He says this, he says, I know you are asking today how long it will take. Somebody's asking how long will prejudice blind the visions of men and darken their understanding? Somebody is asking when will wounded justice lying prostrate on the streets of Selma and Birmingham and communities all over the South be lifted up, this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. Somebody's asking how long will justice be crucified? He says, I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. And then he repeats this refrain, how long? Not long. How long? Not long, because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Truth forever on the scaffold. He just goes on and on and on with that refrain. How long? Not long. See, when you can cry, When you can deal in reality, you can experience real hope and real fasting. When you can slow down enough to process your pain and fear and frustration, to know what's going on in your heart, you can experience real healing because God deals in reality. And when we don't, we don't slow down long enough to wrestle with all that. When we just numb or we just turn away, I think we eventually on a long enough timeline, all of us experience despair. Jesus asks Mary, why are you crying? Maybe Jesus is asking some of us today, why aren't you crying? Why aren't you? Like, where do you need to create a new normal to slow down so that you can deal in reality? So you can rest and process and be present with what's really going on beneath the surface. To slow down enough to hear God speak your name and bring life. Henry Nouwen says, the spiritual life is a life in which you gradually learn to listen to a voice that says something else that says, you are the beloved and on you, my favor rests. He's quoting God, blessing Jesus. I wanna hear that voice, he writes. It's not a very loud voice because it's an intimate voice. It comes from a very deep place. It's soft and it's gentle. And I want you to gradually hear that voice, he says. We both have to fear that voice and to claim for ourselves that that voice speaks the truth. It tells us who we are. That is where the spiritual life starts, by claiming the voice that calls us the beloved, that calls us loved. And to those who who are crying, who are awake to the ache of this moment and to our world, 
May you hear all that's bound up in Jesus's question. Mary, why are you crying? Because we know that wrapped up in all that is Jesus saying, heck, I know things are hard. I've wept too, but know that the crying stops. Know that these tears can and will turn to joy. May this question wake you to the God who says, Mary, the God who calls you by your name, who restores your hope and trust and vision for a new tomorrow, who can make you whole again for the sake of the world around you.